Hello and welcome to the latest edition of How Might We? And this week my guest is John Hinchcliffe and the title of the podcast will be How Might We Make L&D More Attractive? So John, would you like to um, introduce yourself please? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. So John Hinchcliffe, I head up talent at Jampan, which is a digital marketplace where we focus on providing amazing freelancers to global organizations around the world. I've been in L&D for goodness, it's around 12 years now, ranging from being an instructional designer. I've headed up instructional design at Virtual College, United Arab Emirates University, been on the board of directors for the eLearning Network, won Learning Professional of the Year Silver at the LPI Awards back in 2020. And also recently, I founded the Global Learning Development Community, GLDC, which brings together people each week from all over the world just to bring a bit of social life and just humanity into these crazy, crazy times that we're living in. So that really is a whistle-stop store on kind of me, really. Yeah, well, for 12 years, you've packed a lot in. Re- yeah, it's, it's been a busy 12 years, but 12 years. <laughs> yeah, I've been in L&D 25 years. I think I'm more of a slow coach than you in the way you go. I think I've just been bimbling along. <laughs> <laughs> you've gone off and done and all that. So I've just, well, most of my uh, background is from uh, corporate training and then doing 10 years sort of freelance associate work around um, the Middle East and stuff. So how might we make L&D more attractive? So first thing of the question is, why do you think L&D needs to be seen as more attractive? I think L&D's had a bad rep for an insanely long time. So context of that, my mum hates what I do. She absolutely despises digital learning. She's told me that. She has told me that to my face when she actually found out what I did. And so for her, it was she worked in a big corporation and they just had really boring click next learning for one hour each time she hated it didn't see the point of it never remembered anything but it was just tick box Mm -hmm. and i think for so long that has been what lnd has been thought of it's not really a necessity it's just a tick box and even i remember it from when i used to be in banking so finished university went into banking and the only learning we would do it wasn't really learning. It was just assessments. So you did this piece of learning and then you did an assessment and that was it. And you forgot about it. And then you did it next year when you had to for data protection, health and safety, all those kinds of things. And I think that unfortunately has been the way that LD has been viewed for so long, because when you even think about when you were younger and you were doing learning, Learning was never really a passion to be an active experience. You went to school, you maybe did some homework, but you weren't really in a position whereby you thought, I would like to learn about X. You know, it was never that. It was never that inspiration. That was never life. And I think so learning has really been a reactive thing for people, you know, all over the globe. And I think that's really you know, embedded into organizations whereby they don't really see it as, you know, upskilling their people, making their people understand things, looking at how they learn, looking at how they forget, you know, it's just kind of seen as a tick box. And I think that that's one of the things that really kind of drives me in conversations with people is just how do we try and move away from that perception? 
I mean, I think, as you say, the space you're in, digital space, uh, had a horrendous reputation when it first came out because it was just basically slides. Mm. And somebody would talk over the slides and then you get a question at the end and then another one and that it was just up with them. Just give me a book. I mean, it just, it's, there is no engagement. There's no, there just seems to be very little thought in that sort of experience that people would go through and what it's actually going to drive at the end of it. Because I remember I bought a, a training program because I didn't want to go and do the face-to-face stuff because it was quite expensive. And they said, oh, we've got this. You can get you through. Um, I'm not going to name the organization because they are a, they are a well-known organization. Well, I don't know if they're well-known, but they're, they're an accrediting body, should I say. And this is, this is, mm. our, this is our flagship uh, training. And it basically was three hours of just going through these little things. And I just went, how can you call that flagship? How can you put such a emphasis on this as something that's going to make a big difference and i think if you go to people and say this is um this is we've got an lms or we've got we're putting it on e-learning it harks people hark back to that the origins of what e-learning looked like and how horrendous it actually was in reality and say i'm not doing that yes exactly and it is you know it is that problem and i think because that became the norm there were not enough people who were saying this is wrong. Are we actually looking at the psychology, you know, the actual learning that is taking place? And I think it just became the expectation, you know, why would you deviate? Because something worked. Did it work? Or was it just the fact that you were following the same pattern as educational institutes that focus on short-term recollection in order to pass an assessment rather than long-term comprehension? And so that, that was, you know, one of the things that really, you know, just is a weird thing to think about when you really think about, you know, this training budget that we have in place, it's really focused on that short term rather than people really learning, knowing and being able to do particular things. You know, I think, you know, especially when we look, let's go old school and we talk like 70, 2010, you know, with that you know, actually the practice of being doing things and building the memory muscle. Could that be shortened if you actually had systems in place whereby you had processes in place whereby people actively recollected what they were actually learning about? You know, had go-to guides, had learning at the point of need, would that make things so much easier? So I think there's so many ways that we could look at this. I think also... You know, when we look at learning, and obviously, you know, we're calling this, how do we make LD more attractive? I think attractive can mean so many different things. I think results are attractive. And I think it's really how can us as LD professionals really think about what is the problem? What is the solution that we're going to provide to the problem? So really identify what the problem is, not just taking it as is so just saying right we need a health and safety course okay great we'll build that for you why not really understand what are your biggest problems what you know depending on your organization what is your biggest risk what have you seen what does your data show okay is there something bigger that we need to really provide a solution to how best are we providing that I mean, when you look at some crazy things in the world, like General Electric, General Electric utilize augmented reality in some of their facilities, whereby they have a headset and they're able to give guidance for creating um, stuff in factories. 
which I mean is super attractive because it's, you know, in the future and all those kinds of fun things. But it's also when you think about they've looked at, okay, we have the problem, which is we have user error. We're human. We're fallible. We make errors. How do we ensure that people know what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it? And also that reduces health and safety because people aren't making errors which could put themselves at harm's way. And it really, you know, brings us back to what is the solution? What is the problem? You know, and being able to ensure that the results that come out from that are attractive to the business. So I think that's, that's something that plays on my mind is really how do we provide those solutions? Well, interesting. I mean, obviously this is a topic of sort of how might we in the, the mission I'm on is to change perception of learning. So a lot of people I've spoken to over the last six, eight, 10 weeks for the podcast have been around that topic. And the common thread that is, <clears throat> excuse me, that seems to come through that is what you're talking about is about us moving away from thinking about learning and thinking about business impact and saying, what are we actually trying to achieve? And I think sometimes we get stuck thinking about learning. Yeah. And not saying, okay, because they don't pay for your training. They pay for the impact. They pay for the performance change. Yeah. If you're an external provider or if you're in an organization doing it internally, it's about how are we going to do it? And, and I think that it, just changing our mindsets in L&D can make us much more attractive because we have better conversations. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think another way that, you know, we can look at this as well is, and something that, you know, I'm starting to see from, you know, really large organizations, I'm very privileged that I get to see stuff that's going in in large organizations is marketplaces, internal marketplaces. So starting to see in some of these slight shifts away from relevant roles, you know, the classification of roles to skills. Mm -hmm. So being able to allow people to have that mobility and then seeing where you have skill gaps, you know, rather than saying that this person does this role, this person does this role, breaking things down into gigs, into projects, and being able to provide solutions from an array of individuals, because then you can look at where are your shortages, where do you need to upskill, how are you going to do that, how many, be able to project how many projects you're going to be taking care of. And I think that, for me, is going to become a really exciting thing, especially when we look at how things have shifted over the past year as to how we as individuals have, you know, started to upskill ourselves. We've had more time on our hands. You know, we started to really think about what are we interested in? What areas could we really utilize? And it could be that you have a, you know, a project manager who is an incredible animator. If somebody's incredible at something, you know, because of the person that they are, why are you restricting them within an organization just because of a label? So it's how can we utilize skills and really integrate those within the business to complete projects? Because, you know, then we're talking about the deliverables of an organization. If you have a workforce that is working more efficient, relying on their actual skills and where you have upgrades, does that then mean that you're a really agile organization that actually gets more done, which in turn creates more revenue which it should do, which in turn is more attractive for, you know, the stakeholders, the organization, the CEO. So goodness, I mean, there's so many ways that, you know, L&D and organizations can evolve and shift to really just maximize themselves. I, and it's interesting saying that you, because obviously your role in Japan gives you 
insights into many organizations about how they're doing. So you can actually see some of these shifts that are happening and going towards much more of a project-based, or as you mentioned, a gig-based structure within organizations. So I think Spotify have squads and stuff like that. So there's, there's, there's something that needs to be done. Let's get the people who've got the skills together. Let's, let's solve that and let's move on. And I do think that's going to become a bigger trend in organizations without a shadow of doubt, that's, which means that how do we capture the learning in the organization, but also how do we, how do we get to know what people can do? Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a massive thing is, you know, for a long time, L&D has taken everybody at the same level. Mm. You know, there hasn't been for the vast majority adaptive learning. There hasn't been that research. It's we need a course in X because so-and-so person says we need one. Okay. Well, you know, something that we really have to take into account is people's different, you know, understandings, their previous experience. I mean, that's a massive guidance on things. I mean, you can't take everybody the same. I mean, goodness, you know, I look at L and D that's a massive passion of mine, but also I look at so many different things in the world, such as at the moment, we're talking about NFTs, you know, also thinking about like marketing, also thinking about esports, also thinking about, you know, good practice in terms of mental health. If you started to really understand your individuals within your workspace, you'd really start to understand how can you tell your learning and where people have interests, how are those aligned to you as an organization? You know, what can you really increase? What can you rise up? And I think, yeah, understanding skills and people. I honestly think that's the future. I mean, it's, uh, there's obviously platforms that can help us do that and allow us, to, and also we can create stuff internally. Well, I think one of the biggest untapped uh, assets within an organization is the brains of the people who actually work there. And what do we do to actually tap into that? And then how do we how do we create an environment? And I think this is one of the roles I, where I, I can see L&D going in, in a perception I have is moving its perception of itself as the owner of learning to the curator of creating learning opportunities that are aligned with the organization's need. Perfect. So we're now sitting there, what do we need as an organization and how can we get that learning? So we don't have to own it. We don't have to do it, but we are, we should be seen as the experts in that field so we can create the solutions and I think it's about co-creation. I think what you were saying, so we can move away from seeing ourselves as L&D. So how do we partner with these projects? How do we get on board with these various projects and say, what do you need? How can we support you? What's the objectives? Where do you think you're going to struggle? Okay, how can we support you achieve that? I think if we get into those conversations, we move from, hello, we've got a problem. Can you fix it? To we want to deliver something. Can you come and help us? Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I see from organizations is the inclusion of community managers. So people actually looking at what is taking place, what are people saying, what are people desiring? So looking at the data of your platforms. So let's say, for example, the grid, you're looking at what are the most utilized courses? What are people put on messaging boards? What are people saying in the team's channels? You know, and being able to provide solutions there. And then is it user-generated content that they do? Is it content curation? So they pull from LinkedIn learning, you know, future of learning however you want to do it it's you know really looking at what is going on human data you know really taking that as a concept and really looking at how do we facilitate i think you know i really think you're spot on and i think it's interesting i think mind tools released some research last week and it says 
and I can't remember the figures because I haven't got it in front of me, but it is it's quite horrific in some ways. But it's it goes back to what we're talking about. I think is that organisations, senior leaders and organisations saying they would they would like L and D to be focused on the long term aspirations of the business, where they still see them, where they they think they're focusing on the short term transactional fixes. And then you've got I think in that research, fifty percent of L and D managers create solutions without checking the business need. So I think we jump to solution focus because we're great at developing content. That's our, that's our skill sets. But you say, I think it's about bringing stuff in from other fields. We, I definitely think we need to be better at data analysis. Yeah. Gathering and analyze data. Cause then if we can't, if we're not, if we don't know what we're trying to fix, how can we, or what, what needs to be done? How can we develop when it's that? And I really, some bits and pieces, and I really think one of the key areas we've got to get better at or we can utilize is marketing. Yeah. L&D. Absolutely. How can we market ourselves? How can we segment people in the organization? How can we build profiles? The things you're talking about, the individualization of learning and content curation around those individuals' needs is what marketing does externally. Ah, it's it's massive. I mean, the amount of people that I talk to who are really starting to push marketing as a key agenda for L&D is it's incredible. I mean, you look at people such as Ashley Sinclair. So she heads up mass marketing. They are a marketing agency for L&D. So they understand marketing, they understand L&D, and they look at that crossover. And talking to them, you know, it's incredible. You look at the way in which marketing tests things, tests to see how good something is actually taken on board. Is it right? Does it need tweaking? L&D, we put such pressure on ourselves that everything has to be 100% correct, accurate, spot on for the solution that is needed. There's no testing kind of as a principle. I mean, where, where else might you find that? Goodness, doctors. Doctors are probably under the same kind of scrutiny. Everything has to be 100% spot on every time. Hopefully nobody dies when we do L&D that doesn't work properly, but it's... Marketing is such a crucial element. It's really looking at that full experience, that full journey. You know, where do we need to contact learners? Where are they? How do we contact them? How do we provide them solutions that are relevant to them? I mean, goodness, in terms of solutions that, you know, kind of enhance people's learning on this, Bianca Bauman did a little black book of marketing for L&D. Free ebook, brilliant. Also, people like Laurie Niles Hoffman, great, she hates the term, thought leader. But in terms of this relevance of marketing for L&D, you know, us really taking those principles, those concepts, and integrating them into what we do. I think, you know, for a lot of L&D, it's, it's really having a shakeup of ourselves, you know, really looking at what, what is the service that we provide? I think, again, it goes back to what I was talking yesterday when I was talking on our previous podcast with Paul, and he talks about the value proposition. What is our value proposition? One of the activities I ask people to do, which again is free, is say, imagine your role is up for election and you have to write your manifesto. Yeah. Who are you? What do you stand for? And the electorate are your senior managers, your managers, your line managers, your supervisors, all employees in the organization how are you going to how are you going to serve them why why are they going to vote for you 
And I think those types of questions, if we ask ourselves and then focus ourselves much more on who are we serving, how can we serve them rather than this is L&D and what do we do? Well, we develop the skills and, and that's what people say. We develop the skills. I said, yeah, but how does it serve the business? Yeah. And how does it serve people? And I think we, again, it goes back to what's been said before is I think we focus too much on the learning and not the output of the business. And it's about that building our brand within the organization, but then being consistent underneath it to say we will deliver what we said we were which builds a reputation and when you're in that type of view then you can really start making some serious headway in getting invited into the conversations being involved at early stages because you've got that demonstrable deliverables of what you've said in the past yeah exactly and it's you know i love that we went on a conversation of data as well mm-hmm. you know being able to actually evidence you know what have we done i mean i remember early in my career going for job interviews there was never ever any question of roi that was never a question within it it was always what authoring tool can you use now roi is a crucial element of the interviewing process because we want to know you know the stuff that you produce what's the actual result of it mm-hmm. you know how has that impacted the business because i can make a course does it change behavior? Does what it needed to do? That is the crucial element to it. So just because you create a course doesn't mean it's right. No. And, and are we actually fixing a learning problem or are we trying to fix a process problem? Yeah. So, and again, it's that data analysis, the real bit at the beginning about, okay, let's go out, let's get talk to people. Let's grab the data. What's it saying? And then if we're in those conversations with stakeholders, the good thing is we then get clarity with stakeholders about what we're trying to do and how much of that is our accountability that through to L&D and how much then becomes a responsibility of them as a stakeholders to help. So it might be, well, there's a bit of learning in there, but there's also a bit of this and a bit of that. So how can we work together to create that sort of integrated approach? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it is that buy-in because one thing that we can do, yeah, sure. We can create courses, you know, that was L&D as its historical nature, but how do we keep the party going? And how do we make people aware of why are they doing the course? What's in it for them? I mean, it it really harks back to this marketing element. It's that thing of why am I doing it? I mean, that's a basic human instinct. What's in it for me? Why am I doing this? How will I benefit? And it's also, you know, and this was something that was quite worrying for me. I previously worked in academia and I had maybe 200 professors and I talked about Ebbinghaus forgetting curve. You know, love it or hate it, Ebbinghaus forgetting curve. There's some truth in there that we forget. So I said, you know, did a little slido. Okay, in 24 hours, how much information do you forget? You know, we had like 70%, 80%, 90%. Some people got the 70%. I said, great. Okay. What are you doing about the stuff that you forget? So if you're openly admitting that people forget, why are we even doing a learning intervention and spending so much time creating learning if people are going to forget it? Yeah, I don't think there's many businesses who say, right, we're going to do this and we've got a 30% success rate. Yeah. Money. So 30% return. Rate. You're going to give us a million quid. We're going to give you about £300,000 worth of output. £700,000 is going to be forgotten about. There's not many departments or industries that can actually survive on that. But I think we have over L&D in the past, and I think as it goes back to what you were saying in the beginning, we have, if we put hands on heart, delivered some absolute tripe in organizations. Ah, oh, 
I'll put my, I'll put both hands up. Ah, oh, I remember me early days, early days, creating on storyline. Oh goodness. I was doing stuff with like red backgrounds with black text on uh, horrible graphics. I thought zooming in on images was big and clever. I mean, goodness, you know, and I think that's the thing. There really needs to be a call to action, you know, now, because we're now more connected to each other of what are the best principles of L&B that you're seeing? You know, who's really doing well? Because we really need to be inspired. I think that's, so. that's another thing. I mean, you know, for me, obviously I'm head of talent for Japan, but I'm still a full on idea at heart. Mm-hmm. And so when I see things from people like Kath Ellis, you know, American learning specialist, she's not American, Australian learning specialist. She did a podcast driven anti-money laundering course. Honestly, I saw a dev learn at DemoFest and I was in tears because it was the level that I wanted everything at. It was incredible. It was so well thought out, so well planned, so engaging. And the ROI from that justified that. And she's won awards as she should have. So it's, it's really how can we be inspired by each other and do the right thing? Because doing the right thing is always the right thing. Absolutely. And I quite, I, well, I don't like, I love the way you said, let's look at best principles because I cannot stand the, the word best practice because best practice is duplication. And then we get standardization, which I don't think is a good thing. Principles are gives you the flexibility to deliver something within the principles of learning. So yeah, engages people, has a clear outline, as you say, makes sense, well thought out, it's got deliverables. And I think the important thing for us also, and I go for me, is measuring the impact. Again, it goes back to data analysis. And if we've got that bit right at the beginning, the measuring the impact is so much easier because said, well, that's what we've identified. So and we've identified for this to be different, this needs to be in place. And then we can identify, has it been in place or not because of what the intervention we've done. And I think hopefully we can move away from, right, we're going to send people on a training course. And I, I think hopefully COVID has been a catalyst for the, the sort of the organizations accepting that training or learning can be done differently as well, which I think has been a big thing because they're still, they're still stuck on, give somebody a training course and everything's going to be fixed. I think Paul the other day just said, and that, that shit that moves out. There's no real accountability because manager said, there's a problem. Pings him over to training train said, I've done what I need to pings him back to the manager again. And it's like, well, how do these two things work together? So we really understand why they're coming to us. And then we can say, this is what we've done. And this is what needs to go on the happening for that, that new behavior to be habitual. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how many times have we been on a one day, two day away day course? We've done what we needed to do. We've had like a really carb heavy lunch. So we've been really tired. You know, it's getting to five o'clock whilst you're in the training, your eyes are dropping, your head's nodding. And then that's it. That was it. You're you know? fixed. You're fixed. You're done. Congratulations. And it's this thing of, you then go into back in your organization and that's the last you ever talked about it. There's no, you know, accountability from the powers that be that put you on the course to then keep that learning going, you know, to really embed what it is that you're doing. 
And it's like, yeah, when we think about it, how on earth does this happen for so long? But it's just, <laughs> you know, it's it's this thing of something that's happened for so long, it becomes the norm, it becomes the standard and people don't question the standard. I mean, goodness, when you think about, this is such a weird rant, but I'll give it. Pensions, when you think about pensions, in your pension fund, it's usually done through a mutual fund. Mutual funds, 96% of mutual funds fail. That's why you lose money on your pension. But it's because there's continual transaction fees and because it's been the norm, nobody questions it. Whereas if you had it in an index fund, which tracks the market, those have historically been more effective. Do we question it? No, because it's the norm. I think that goes back to, I was a conversation I had yesterday as well, and a uh, guy called Gary Klein wrote the book, Seeing What Others Don't. Mm -hmm. And we have these assumptions in which we build stuff on the norms. And it's it's seeing and even when we're given evidence that is conflicting to our norm we'll find a reason just to stick to the norm so we have these assumptions that we stick onto is like and i think he calls them false truths yeah. and we and and then i think uh daniel ping's got a great quote there is a disconnect between what science knows and business does and i think the same for learning as well there's a disconnect between what we know and what we actually do and we're in learning our job is to take knowledge and make it into something that allows help people to change. And yet we don't do it ourselves. So yeah. I think, I think partly is that we need to take accountability to ourselves about what we're delivering within our organizations and how comfortable are we, as you say, having solutions that may look pretty, but have a 30% impact rate or a 30% success rate. And again, that goes back to, I think that learning, and I think we sometimes get hooked up on, Oh, look at my slides. My slides look great. And I've got to, and we get, we might concentrate too much on the aesthetics. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, that's, that's a biggie, isn't it? You know, there's so much folks on, I mean, goodness, I've been in businesses whereby it's just, can you make this look pretty? You know, can, can you jazz this up? Can you judge this? You know, it doesn't need judging because it's broken. It'd be like <laughs> painting a broken car, still a broken car. It might look nice. Just get different. Yeah, it might look pretty, you know gonna just look good parked up but you know it's it's broken and it's it is that i think it's lnd having the know-how having the chops having the just the understanding of learning what works you know really and being able to look at being able to present the data mm. that will really show why is this the right solution and so, so ra rather than just going to business saying no it's saying I understand what you're saying. I hear, you know, you're wanting X, Y, Z. Here's why we need to go down this route because it's going to have this outcome for you. You know, it's, it's reasonable arguments. And again, it was data driven, isn't it? So that goes back to, and also when we do something, how much testing do we do along the way? Yeah. So I think, I think a great learning tool to use in organizations is experimentation. Yeah. And that doesn't cost anything much to run, but you can say to people, well, you've got an idea, run with it we'll fund the experiment yeah and because the experiment is testing assumptions your your um ideas are built on and then if if the experiment is successful or your, your experiment is successful okay that assumption is now evidence-based so we now have something to back up if we want to invest more time effort or money into this 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 adventure and then that so i think that comes from that i think we can learn from design thinking as well about design sprints and and put in what's our MVP? What's what's the minimal thing we can test to see if this this idea works? 
yeah. rather than going out and spending two, three, four, five hundred thousand pounds on a three-year leadership development program, which is probably nigh identical to the one that the organization down the road has got and the, the other organization has got. Um, yeah. I think we can be much more creative in what we do and how we work with people. Absolutely, 100%. And, you know, it's that testing. I mean, goodness, it comes back to marketing, you know, A-B testing. You know, how can we really integrate those MVPs? Because, you know, to an organization, is it better spending five grand on an MVP to prove whether what you want will work or going whole hog and spending half a mil on a gamble? I know which I'd prefer to do, but, you know, it's just getting that data and getting that, you know, real confidence with the organization that you're you know you're spending their money like it's your own yeah and that would be quite nice wouldn't it i mean and i think that will change hopefully it will change the deliverables because i mean I'm, you hear so many questions and people say I'm, I'm developing a leadership program what do you think i should put in the syllabus and the first question is what's the need of the business because I obviously I've been in training years, and so we used to go in hotels. So you'd be in a hotel, and you'd have six or seven, six or seven rooms, and you'd be as as we are as trainers, we're nosy by nature. So coffee break, I'd be like, oh, there's some leadership training going on there. As they're all out, I'm just uh, sniggling, and then you look in the corner and you say, okay, here we go. Leadership management, flip charts, situational leadership, and maybe something about Belbin or Tuckman. You must be on introductory to leadership, probably day one or two of your five-day program. How did you know? I said, I just looked at your flip charts. Yeah. How can that be best practice or best principles across a whole industry that everyone who everyone who is a new leader needs that type of information at that moment in time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. And it's just... You know, depending on the subject as well, it depends on how deep, you know, people need to go. Why is it that, and this is something I talk about, and it's probably something that people get sick about with me, but it's just, why are we always looking at one-off solutions? Why are we not looking at staged, you know, having different flows of things rather than being a one big impact, boom, why do we not spread things out? And maybe it's, you know, organizations think about, time and money but it, you know it's like we're talking about here would you not rather have people doing things correctly rather than taking that gamble on, on them hopefully remembering everything on that one day course i think that goes there's, there's two things i'd like to pick up on that if that's okay so firstly yeah. i agree wholeheartedly yeah. that we should be looking at consistency versus intensity absolutely which is about let's look at this as a journey what's what's the what's the What's the experience and the journey this person needs to go on and when do they need to go on it and what do they need to do? When do they need to do it? Yep. And you can have some intensity in there, which is some sessions in there to reinforce it, but they don't have to be five days out the, out the workplace because that's expensive. And that's another, that's another one of my gripes as well. And I'll get to that in a minute. And I was going to say something else. I completely forgot it. But yes. And it's about the individualization of what we need. And a simple thing. So again, taking it for marketing. If you had an internal CRM system for your organization, for your people who work for you, and you say, right, this person is now just being promoted to a leader. Okay, in our role in leader, what's the sort of stuff that we know that leaders, new leaders need? And all of a sudden, it just triggers a little tag and they get this content. So you've just been recently promoted. Here's some information that might help you. Here's somebody you might be able to talk to. And here's content that other people have found useful. We now come up to performance management. 
Okay, here's some information about doing performance management interviews and reviews. Here's a, here's a little uh, sheet on how to complete the performance management form, some examples of good practice or good examples. Here's, here's a test case on standardization of marking. And you get, people get it two weeks before they're actually doing the work. That yeah. is not expensive. Oh, goodness. I mean, when we really think about this, and I keep on saying it, bring it back to marketing, campaigns. You know, being, being really conscious of the journey of our people and actually identifying. And, you know, it's beautiful how you said it. You know, you know that at December, you've got end of year, you know, assessments for your people. You know, this is a stand, this is like Christmas. You know, it's happening every year. So why not in November know that there is a campaign that is going to include how to do these conversations, emotional intelligence, you know, what are our values, you know, so that the stuff that you are marketing people on correlates. Is it there's a need? And I think, you know, there is campaigns, campaigns are the way. Is it that L&D departments need to think more like marketing departments? They are the marketing department because they're marketing learning. Potentially. And then I think there's also, there's so many things. I mean, about, again, if you look at that consistency, I think to get our head away from like training is the solution. Training potentially is the solution, but I do think also with COVID and I was talking to another on a previous one, the guy called Mark, and he talked about that learning journey. We, we need to be thinking much more. And he was talking about how do we get people ready to learn? <laughs> yeah. Um and he says, so you might have, I don't know, you might be doing negotiation skills. So you might be doing a one, two days in the classroom with somebody or one or two days virtually with people about negotiation. But what you can do beforehand is say, don't call it pre-reading because nobody does it. He said, module one yeah. is this, module two. You don't actually see the trainer until module three. Yeah. Uh, but by the time they've got there, they may have had a case study. They may have done that. They've worked together on something. So when they land at the time, that is probably the most expensive which is the time in front of a facilitator, trainer, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Why are we spending half a day? Let's get to know each other. That's half a day. You're not utilizing the skills that you're paying for. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, it's goodness. Let's spend an hour on icebreakers. That's wasted learning. Yeah. Why do we, if we did it properly, those icebreakers, or those, why do we do icebreakers? People to get to know somebody. Okay. What can we do for people to get to know something before they land? So when they land, oh, oh hello, John, we've already connected on here and I, had, I saw what you post. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah. And thus we've, we've got over that really quickly. Yeah. And it's, and it's also looking at the technology. I mean, thankfully, you know, one thing to come out from COVID is we've become so much more digitally acceptable of, you know, doing conversations over Zoom, you know, seeing videos of people. Could it be that you have, goodness, could it be that you have an Instagram page, probably Instagram page for your course? Please join and upload a video of you introducing yourself. Boom. Done. I mean, there's apps such as, I think it's Flipgrid does that, you know, where you're paying for it. Instagram's free. And also people use Instagram. It's not just young kids who utilize it. I mean, goodness, it's one of the most utilized apps. You know, you could go on Facebook, upload a video on Facebook. There's so much possibility. There so, is. so much possibility. And, and, and if we call things like pre-read, and the other reason is we give people pre-reading, but we have to assume they're not going to do it because enough of the people won't do it. That, so what's the point in doing it? Yeah. 
it, that didn't make any sense. That <laughs> sounds like the Robert Veltor. We know what we knew, we didn't know, no, and then when no, no, one of those types of things. But we we give people stuff to do. Again, in the understanding, it's probably not going to happen. So we have to build it on the assumption they're not going to do it. Yeah. So you think, well, why bother doing it? Or find a different way. And, and I always think about, well, what is it that doing that is designed to achieve? And then let's go to what's that designed to achieve then? Is there another way of getting that outcome? I think that's a great question we should ask people is about what what is that designed to achieve? Rather than we get to go through, we've got to do icebreakers. So why are you doing icebreakers? Everyone gets to know each other. Why is it important people to get to know each other? Because this is, okay, how can we get that before they get here? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Well, at least it opens up that question. I think those types of questions help us open up the way we think about what we're doing. So we go away from the standardization approach of learning needs to be this, it needs to be structured this way, and this is how it looks. Yeah, exactly. And you can also link that through to onboarding. So onboarding people, when we onboarded and it's our first day, we are stressed because it's just something that is ingrained into our head. It's new people. We are stressed in that environment. And when you're stressed, you forget things more. That is what we do because your blood is going elsewhere because you're in a fight or flight situation. So on your first day, when you're going through the corporate structure and you're getting reams of reams of information about who the CEO is, who the C-suite are, the history of the company. Why on earth are you going through that on your first day? Why are you being bombarded with that? Why isn't it that before you were onboarded, you get a really short intro video, you know, also get to know your team. You know, here's some short videos of people telling you who they are and what they do, rather than just being a picture that is 10 years old on a PowerPoint slide showing the organizational structure and you have to go find Emma because she's your line manager and she's had a haircut since 1990. Unlike us. Unlike us. Unlike us. We have had the same haircut since 1990. But again, it's just, I think it's just about looking at what we're trying to do and recognizing where that person is likely to be and then creating something around that understanding, say the psychology of learning. Yeah. If we have people stressed, there is no point in giving them information because it's not going to be processed. They're going to be far too emotional. Another idea, I think, for things like L&D as well, which is not expensive, but again, depends on your structure. You could have an induction treasure hunt. Yeah. Now, if you're on a site, and I don't think it's that expensive either, you could integrate augmented reality into that. So you could have a Pokemon Go induction treasure hunt. And you got you get little teams together and said, right, this is who you've got to do. And within those little puzzles... They capture things, gives them a puzzle to do. And then in that, they then have to go and find something out about the business or go and meet people. And you can even time when they do it so that it's at a time when the business is generally quiet. Yeah. And you see it going, how much fun would that be for people? Oh, it's how amazing. They learn. Yeah. And it's, you know, when we think about experience, that would bring you so much joy, so much interest because you know, especially when we think about when we were kids, you know, would you rather be in a classroom looking at a chalkboard, show my age there, just looking at something or being hands-on, getting to do things, you know, getting out and about, getting moving, you know, and it's such a memorable thing rather than I sat through two days of onboarding in a classroom, can't remember that much, but I've got the PowerPoint slides, should I ever need to refer to them? But I mean, yeah, I think... Who was it? It was Dr. Helen Papagiannis. I saw her talk about augmented reality. 
And she showed an example of that, whereby people had augmented reality on their phone, showing them where they should go, and where they should find people and where things were situated. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. But it's fun. And if you haven't got augmented reality, then just go old school and have little, and you could even have it like, what's one of the biggest trends people used to do before COVID was breakout rooms. Yeah. Create an induction style breakout room people in they've got to solve problems and solving problems they've got to find out about the business and there's prizes and there's this and there's that in it so you're gamifying the experience in a way and the, you're and then i just think what else are you getting out of this is so much more than just them finding out about the organization you're developing problem solving skills you're developing relationships they're getting to know people they're getting to be comfortable and oh the list goes on and on and on and on about the benefits that far outweigh learning outcomes exactly you know it's that social and it's that human element because even for you know everything that we talk about about lnd you know and being more attractive i think if you're making experiences whereby people actively engage and it's memorable for the right reason that's a massive win for lnd absolutely i'm just an example my other half she's going through this uh, training which is it got cut from three hours or four hours to three hours i think but it's every fortnight and I said, how are you doing? And every time I walk in the room, she's like, oh, and the microphone's up here. And she's just, you just see, she's like losing, losing the will to live because somebody is just going through slides and they're just saying, what do you think? Here's a case study. Go and read it for 20 minutes when you have coffee. Cool. Come back. Here's the answers. Okay, great. What the, why did I need to read this case study then? And just type in chat what you think. So it goes so little interaction and three hours later, how'd that go? Depressing. And I said, and that's what gives us a bad name as well as about that, as you say, that seriously poorly designed experience. And I think if we, another, another concept, I think we could be better at as CX. Yeah. Absolutely. What's the customer experience and the customers are the people who are attending our programs and the organization. What's their experience going to be like? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the massive one, you know, it's and it's also being willing to, you know, get that data, ask people, you know, what what did you enjoy? What did you not? How can we help you better? Because at the end of the day, if people are not engaging with your learning, they're not doing it and the results are showing. That puts L&D in a bad position and. Honestly, that's another reason why when we see budget cuts and stuff like that, L&D is one of the first places to go because, you know, people aren't really singing the praises. They can't show what's been so great about L&D for them. Mm-hmm. But it's how do we actively show that, you know, we are willing to change to make their lives better? I think there's five questions I think we can ask in any design that would help us. Five simple questions. They come from the concept of 60s of transformational learning. And the first question is, what's the business need we're trying to fix? Or not fix, I don't like the word fix. We're going to try to meet, achieve. Yeah. Fixes, again, we're trying to, I think we could even work, as you say, work on the benefits rather than just the negatives. And coming from an appreciative inquiry background, I should be. And then the second question, what needs to be different for us to achieve that? So, and that could be behaviors, skills. What is it that people need to be doing differently for that business need to be met. We've now got a real a real help in identifying what we're trying to do, what needs to be in place, but also we're now looking at metrics. Yeah. Third question, how can we measure that? Who can measure it? 
and what's the best way to measure it and when's the quickest way we can measure the impact? Three, four questions. And then the fourth question is, what will it look like when this is successful, if this is successful? And I think the last question is the bit that we really forget. What else needs to be in place to support this? I think those five questions are fantastic. And again, they just change conversations if we ask those conversations and then have the skills, maybe not even within us. We may not be good analysts, that's fine. But where's the data and the analytical capabilities in your organization? How can you tap into them to help you tell the story of the data? And then we can develop those skills ourselves. But if we haven't got them, we haven't got them. But how can we get them? Yeah. Which goes back to your ecosystem as well, that, that gig economy, just get, get a data analysis from somewhere just to help you do that first part of it. Um, again, going back to the mind tools, they say, if an organization, an L&D department within an organization can do two things, analyze data, and second, demonstrate impact, uh, performance impact, they are 12 times more likely to be perceived as useful by the organization. Yep. And that's from that's research that was published last week. Yeah. And it is, it really is that. It's how can we evidence, because you know when we think about even just managing teams you know what the loudest person in your team is doing you know exactly you know kind of like what value they bring to your team but the person who is you know the quiet slaving away you've got no concept of what they do you don't know whether they're doing great stuff unless you really look into the data and so it's really l and d being able to show demonstrate what it is doing how it is doing it and what are the benefits to really think in these times, survive. Yeah, I think so. That's good. Okay, so I think we've uh, come really full circle, isn't it? And it's so the, the key things I think we've identified is one, be aware or utilize data to be able to demonstrate what we're doing. Yep. Are we actually fixing the right thing and trying to do the right thing? And it's linked to what we're trying to achieve. And we can have those conversations rather than just be a service taker or order taker. So we don't want to just be like the just eat. Somebody just rings up just eat and said, I want this, this off the menu. Yeah. No, hopefully those days are going as well. The amount of organizations have got a training brochure and somebody just says, yeah, can I have, it's like going to a little restaurant. I'll have a starter and main course and a dessert because it's yeah. what I feel like today. And L and D go, yeah, of course you can. So yeah, understand what we're trying to achieve and how that links to the organization using data to support us, but also then think about experimentation. So how can we test, do testing for marketing, utilize information we know about people to help individualize and then be really thoughtful of the journey that people go on and that those touch points and how we can make it, make it memorable in a good way, but also then ensure that they're developing the skills and then it's transferred into the workplace. Yeah. You go blueprint for L&D. Boom. There you go. In an hour. <laughs> <laughs> or go and read 20 books, but it tells you roughly the same sort of thing, just in a little bit more detail. Yeah. All right, John, it was an absolute pleasure and thank you very much for your time. Thank you ever so much for having me. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm.